I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we're talking about To Have and Have Not, which is a 1944 film that was directed by Howard Hawks, loosely based on an Ernest Hemingway novel uh, that Howard Hawks believed was the worst of Hemingway's novels. The movie stars Humphrey Bogart, Walter Brennan, Lauren Bacall, Dolores Moran, Hoagie Carmichael, Dan Seymour, and uh, Marcel Dalio. The plot follows Captain Harry Morgan, who is a freelance American fishing boat captain in Martinique. The man who runs the hotel restaurant where he's staying is working with the French Resistance and trying to get Harry to work a job for them. One night he meets a beautiful American drifter, played by Lauren Bacall, and in an effort both to pay her way off the island and to make back the money he loses when his last client is killed by the Vichy-friendly police, Harry finally agrees to take the job to pick up a key resistance fighter. A firefight, some covert surgery in a cellar, major shoulder pads, some singing, lots of drinking, and a little romance ensues. <laughs> That that sounds right. Um, this, yeah, this film, like compared to Casablanca, which is one of our favorites, it just had a very different vibe. And I did look up the novel, and this is very different from the novel. Yeah, apparently the novel is set in Cuba. It's much later in uh, Marie and Morgan's lives, right? And mm-hmm. uh, like Morgan dies at the end of the novel. Yeah, and I a lot of that novel is about class and right, like it has communist vibes. So that mm-hmm. even the the title of this movie, I was like, so you're you're it's named after the novel, but the point of the novel was the haves and the have-nots, and that's not really the point of this, this movie. movie. So it's, it seemed like it was misnamed, yes, or just not renamed in a weird way. Oh, yeah. the screenplay is written by William Faulkner in part, which is that was my first note that I wrote down. <laughs> I was like Faulkner. I mean, yeah. I still like this is a good movie. I just think it's not what I was expecting. Basically, like thinking that it was this Hemingway. Although, you know, Bogart does have that very like yeah Hemingway, very like masculine, yeah. some like misogynist undertone vibes. Yeah, I'm gonna go get a big fish. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, and that you, like, if you're afraid, you're less of a man. That's another. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, we could, we could get into it. <laughs> do you have any trivia for this movie? I do. One of the pieces of trivia is that this is, I, th- I think, I believe, based on what I saw on the, on the internet, the glorified internet, uh, it's the only film that's based on a novel by a Nobel Prize winning author to have its screenplay written by another Nobel Prize winning author. The actor Marcel Dalio, who plays Frenchie, the owner of the restaurant, also appeared in two other films with Humphrey Bogart, one being Casablanca, the other being Sabrina. Uh, maybe a movie we watch <laughs> and talk <laughs> no, about. No, I would totally watch Sabrina with you. Yeah. Lauren Bacall apparently had nervous shakes um, in her very first scenes because this was her first movie. And she quickly learned that keeping her chin down and her eyes up kept her head from trembling. And that that sort of look developed into what became her trademark sultry look. So, you know, combat your fears and look sultry, apparently. 
Um, she, but Lauren Bacall was 18 years old when she was casted in this film. She was, had been a model and had appeared on the cover of Harper's Bazaar. And it was Howard Hawks's wife who noticed her. In the movie, she's called, uh, her character is called Slim, which is what Howard Hawks calls his wife. Um, and she, uh, his wife calls Howard Hawks Steve in real life. So they, it's totally life, er, art imitating life. Hoagie Carmichael is um, was a prominent songwriter at the time, and he plays the musician Cricket, and he was discovered by Howard Hawks at a party, and this is his very first credited film ro- role, um, though he had previously appeared in the movie Topper, uncredited. And He was great. I went yeah. and pulled up some Spotify play. I love that Tin Pan Alley stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I... I- as he, I, I was totally thinking of you. I mean, I already was thinking of you while we were watching this movie, but I was like, oh, this is Emily's m- music. <laughs> yep, and it's probably what I'm going to be listening to while I work for the next several weeks. Yes. The other main thing this movie is known for is that it was the movie on which Bogey and McCall began their relationship. There was a some... Scandal because of the huge age difference between them. Uh, Howard Hawks was against it from the beginning, though gossip says that was maybe because he was interested in her himself. And, um, you know, a lot of people didn't think the relationship would last, but it um, lasted until uh, Bogart uh, died in 1957. I mean, their chemistry was amazing. Like, it just sizzled and I'm not even like I think Bogart is a good actor like but I'm not like a huge Bogart person and I liked him better in this movie because he was opposite her and they just had a really good dynamic yeah well that that's some pretty good trivia (laughs) (laughs) thanks Hope. so I bioed Lauren Bacall because this is shockingly the first Mm -hmm. movie of hers that we've done and I mean there is a lot to her life because she lived a long life and she had, you know, a flourishing career mm-hmm. for, you know, pretty much like 80 years. So that's, I'm just going to give some highlights. She was born Betty Joan Persk on September 16, 1924 in the Bronx, the only child of Eastern European Jewish parents, Natalie and William Persk, a secretary and a salesman. Her parents divorced when she was five after which she no longer saw her father. Her mother changed her last name to Bacall, and then um, she took that name as well. Bacall went to school at the Highland Manor Boarding School for Girls in Terrytown, New York, a private boarding school, and at Julia Richmond High School in Manhattan. She took lessons at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York, where she was a classmate of Kirk Douglas while working as a theater usher at the St. James Theater and as a fashion model. She made her acting debut on Broadway in 1942 at age 17 as a walk-on in Johnny 2x4. As a teen fashion model, she appeared on the cover of Harper's Bazaar in a magazine such as Vogue. Um, And an article in Life magazine in 1948 referred to her, quote, cat-like grace, tawny blonde hair, and blue-green eyes. Hmm. Diana Vreeland is often credited with discovering her for Harper's Bazaar, but it was actually Nicholas de Gunsberg who introduced her to Vreeland, and he had met her at Tony's, a club in the East 50s in New York, and he suggested that she stop by the office the next day. 
and turned her over to Vreeland and they shot her for the March 1943 cover. This is like one of those stories that sounds unbelievable yeah. by today's standards. Someone sees you in a club and then you literally get the gig to be on the cover of Harper's. Yeah, that doesn't what? happen anymore. So the Harper's Bazaar cover caught the attention of Slim Keith, mm-hmm. the wife of Howard Hawks, as you mentioned, and she urged him to bring her out for a screen test for To Have and Have Not. And after meeting her in Hollywood, he immediately signed her to a seven-year contract with a weekly salary of $100. Wow. And personally began to manage her career. He changed her first name to Lauren. He also got her to work with a voice coach to make her voice lower and deeper. Oh. Because apparently her original voice was, like, sort of nasally. Wow. That's a big um, deal. I know. Because <laughs> her voice is one of the most noticeable things about her, really. Yeah. You mentioned that she was so nervous that she started doing that look, and she sort of became known for that look of, like, looking up with her eyes, mm-hmm. and then her sultry voice. Her role in the script for To Have and Have Not was actually originally much smaller, Mm -hmm. but because the chemistry was so good, they revised, and they filmed in order, which is unusual. They revised the uh, screenplay multiple times to give her a bigger and bigger part, and they actually, like, even changed the ending of the movie to have them end Uh, up together. uh Uh-huh. I think, I mean, from what I was reading, I think it was implied that there might have, it could have been that there was supposed to be originally more of a romance with the wife. Right. <laughs> that um, was, yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Once it was released, it catapulted her into instant stardom, um, and it became the cornerstone of her image. Um, and it became, like, a big part of popular culture. She became, like, a fashion icon, and, like, other actors looked up to her. Her next film, Confidential Agent, was a flop, but after that she appeared again opposite Bogart in The Big Sleep, which solidified her as a film noir femme fatale. Um, She starred with Bogart again in Dark Passage in 1947 and Key Largo in 1948. Mm. She was choosy about her roles and continued to star in successful pictures throughout the 50s, including um, Young Man with a Horn and the very popular How to Marry a Millionaire, which I was thinking we should do at some point. Oh, yeah. In 1957, when her then-husband Bogart was dying from cancer, she filmed Designing Women with Gregory Peck, which came out a few months after Bogart's death. Mm. She appeared in fewer films after the 60s, but had a successful stage career and won Tonys for Applause and Woman of the Year. And she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress by the Academy for her role in The Mirror Has Two Faces in 1996. And that was actually her first nomination, even though she'd been working for 50 years in wow. film. And she didn't, she didn't win. Oh my gosh. She made a cameo appearance as herself on The Sopranos um, in an April 2006 episode, Luxury Lounge, during which she was mugged. What? Her final role was in 2014 as a guest voice appearance in the Family Guy episode, Mom's the Word. <laughs> and she wrote two autobiographies. Lauren Bacall by Myself, which came out in 78, and now in 1994. And this quote kind of sums up how she felt about her life, which was from a 1996 interview. Uh, She said, I had one great marriage. I have three great children and four grandchildren. I'm still alive. I still can function. I still can work. You just learn to cope with whatever you have to cope with. 
I spent my childhood in New York riding on subways and buses. And you know what you learn if you're a New Yorker? The world doesn't owe you a damn thing. And she died from a stroke on August 12th, 2014, a month before her 90th birthday mm. at her longtime apartment in the Dakota in Manhattan. Where all the other fancy people live. I know. I was reading that there, like, um, there's a like a photography book that's just images of people who lived in the Dakota. And I was like, I might have to get this book. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, um, you failed to mention that she was the voice of fancy beast cat food. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could only do the high. Do you feel that that's a highlight of her career? <laughs> only because it's, I, I remember like hearing those or seeing those commercials and my dad being like, that's Lauren McCall doing those commercials. I mean, I guess if you want, you want people to be seduced into buying your cat food. That's a good voice Hi, to use. Hire Lauren Bacall. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she looked really good, like, yeah. up until... She aged very well, and she kept working. She seemed like she had a really interesting life. Yeah. Oh, and she was good friends with Katherine Hepburn. Ah. Because... When Bogart and Hepburn were filming The African Queen, oh. she came to the set and stayed with them. Aww. That's her. And I guess hopefully we'll do more of her movies. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> like, we should get on that. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of To Have and Have Not? Um, so I watched it in uh, like a number of sessions. Um, I just didn't have a, the opportunity to watch it like all the way through. And... I found myself, like, really wanting to finish it, um, like, wanting to, like, watch the rest of it and, you know, thinking about it when I, you know, in, in the, the pause where I had to work instead of um, <laughs> uh, watch the movie. And so, I, to me, that's, like, a sign of, a, like, a really, like, uh, enthralling movie or book or whatever, like, if you think about it when you're not watching it. And, you know, I really enjoyed it, although I was, like, this is basically, like, a rewrite of Casablanca in a lot of ways. It reminded me also a lot of um, Island in the Sun in some ways, just because it was also a... Like, set in the, you know, in an island nation. Yeah, I mean, one of the striking things with this movie compared to Island of the Sun, which came out a lot later, mm -hmm. was that, like, a lot of the scenes were much more racially integrated in this yeah. movie than they were in the in the later. I mean, which I guess yeah. isn't totally surprising, but it did kind of strike me as just being, like, more diverse. Like, the, the cafe was, like, the patrons were of mixed race mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. people who worked there were of mixed race and everyone was kind of interacting and didn't seem to be separated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know how much of that is like unique to that time or Martinique or if it was just made up for this movie. <laughs> it was kind of striking to me compared to other things we've watched. Yeah, totally. So I had to, I, this showed how I'm, I am actually very, bad at geography <laughs> and I actually spent some time looking at maps to be like all right here's Martinique here's what's around there like Devil's Island because like, I was very confused about what was going on I think the film I mean when it came out it must have been clear but it sort of presupposed that you had an understanding of like oh it's Martinique and they support like Vichy France and this is what's happening yeah because, like, that just wasn't totally obvious to me right away. And I had to kind of... You probably knew this, because I know this is an area of history you've studied. But, like, it wasn't something that I knew about. 
Yeah. No, I had to like sort of refamiliarize myself a little bit too because because I I had forgotten like oh what 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 did the territories do like how did they relate to the like continent? Did, what did you think of the pacing of the movie? I don't know that I had any like specific thoughts about it although now that you mention it like there was a lot of time at the beginning where we were dealing with mr johnson just to have him be shot dead um spoiler yeah (laughs) i think so that's the part of like i was when i was reflecting on it and then also when i like thought about the hemingway book i was like so that's the part that's like more faithful to the book Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) that is like you know they they take this guy out and and in the book i think he actually does just stiff Harry and like that's the end of it kind of but for the purposes of this movie I was like yeah like the be- the opening and beginning I thought was kind of slow mm-hmm. where they're taking him out on the boat and there's a lot of scenes of just like fishing or just like being on the boat yeah um and were they fis- fishing for marlin or did it just look like that I couldn't tell like what the fish were but they looked really big I think at some point they mentioned that it's marlin which, okay. like, I don't know the difference between fish, so... Uh, I mean, like, when they were on the boat, I was like, are they fishing for dolphin? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, I mean, it It definitely looked... Uh, like, yeah, it couldn't have been dolphin. No. But you're right. <laughs> um, but I was curious about that. But yeah, I, I like, that part felt slow to me, and then maybe, like, the second... I watched the movie in two parts mm-hmm. as well, like, basically stopped halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second half seemed very fast-paced to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then it ended pretty abruptly. Oh yeah, like at the end of the movie, I like I happened to like pause it, and I was like, oh, there's only one minute left in this movie. Like, what happens in this one minute? And it's just you know she does her little shimmy and they leave. I mean, I love the shimmy. Yes, the shimmy was great. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess I'm glad nothing bad happens, but. <laughs> Yeah, but then, I mean, so basically we don't know what happens. We know that they're leaving. We don't know if they actually mm-hmm. are successful. You know, it just kind of ends. Yeah. Um, so it just, it felt a little bit uneven to me. And I don't want to, like, keep talking about Casablanca, but pacing of Casablanca felt a lot better. And then the character, so Bogart plays similar characters who are like, I'm neutral. Mm-hmm. In that, in Casablanca, it felt like he had more of a moral reckoning. Whereas in this movie, it just felt to me like he was like personally affronted, mm-hmm. and therefore he was against. It felt very individualistic. Like I'm yeah. just taking this side because you came after me. It's not because I stand for anything. Right. Well, and there was a lot of the, I felt there was a lot that was unclear about his backstory. You know, because he was like. You know, I, you know, I have experience uh, working on wounds, which I was like, how, why do you have experience working on gunshot wounds? And then there was yeah, the whole... Yeah, exactly. And there was the whole relationship with Eddie where they, he was like, you know, I'm not gonna, basically like, I'm not throwing him over because like, he takes care of me. And there was clearly some like, some allusion to something that had happened in the past. Like, I, so I was I'm like, I'm curious about this. I want to know why, like... You're totally taking care of this drunk guy who, like, not really an asset. Yeah. And, and so I completely agree with you. And almost all the major players in this movie I would have liked more backstory for. Yes. <laughs> they they seem like interesting characters, but 
a lot was just kind of left up to the imagination. Like, I made up a whole backstory for him. I was like, okay. Totally. Yeah. He and Eddie served in World War One together, like, in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And he was a captain, but, like, Eddie saved his life, but had trauma, and then became an alcoholic. So he, like, looked after <laughs> You know, like, I made up this whole thing. I don't know if that's the case. But, like, I assumed some sort of military background. Yeah. Because... Totally. Because um, we had nothing else to go on. Yeah. And... It still seemed strange to me that, like, how he was always just sort of, like, chuckling to himself about Eddie, which just seemed really weird when you put it up against the rest of his characterization. Totally. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, also, like, Cricket. I would have loved a backstory for Cricket. Mm -hmm. We don't really get a lot about Slim, except that she left home. Yeah. And has been, like, drifting around to different countries, and then she says she wants to go back. Yeah, even though, like, he's... Harry is at some point is like you know you didn't flinch when you got slapped which to me says that you've got a lot of experience with and and so like maybe the next time someone slaps you you should slap back which I was like I want to know more about that that is (laughs) yeah make her the main character I know and I was like when she lists also I didn't know when she was lying and like when she was telling the truth but she listed the country she'd been and I was like these are like a lot of random places to just drift in and out of and she had no real reason for being anywhere except that she like couldn't get home yeah right and um, had no money so like why yeah so that seemed strange to me um can we can we get into her character more because mm-hmm. yeah so did you think she actually did want to go home i don't know i think she wanted she was like interested in like seeing what would happen with harry and so, she, to me, it seemed like she was just kind of, like, telling him what he wanted to hear, in a way, to just sort yeah. of, like, see, like, to, like, feel him out. Yeah, she, it's, I kind of didn't buy a lot of what she told him up front, because it seemed like she was just sort of trying to entice him. And I also didn't get, like, why she was initially drawn to him. We just kind of see that they're... You know, their rooms are across from each other, and she's sort of, like, slouching there. Yeah. But why him? Like, she just she just glimpses him. Like, there's nothing, it seems, unless it was just totally, like, a huge amount of attraction or something. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't, I, I guess I didn't know what it was based on, except that they had chemistry. And yeah. I guess maybe she could tell that from a glance, but I don't well, and if she's supposed to be, like, 20 years old, like, you know, what experience is she basing any of this on? Probably nothing good. Yeah, and that's the other thing. When they, in the movie, they mention that she's supposed to be 22, and I was like, oh, well, that's really... You know, it's... Again, when you watch these older movies, people look so sophisticated, mm-hmm. and they're dressed so well that it's, like, hard to tell the age. And I was like, 22, that's really young. And then when I found out when they were filming it, she was 18. 18. Yeah. that I mean, that's crazy. Can you imagine an 18-year-old now in, like, a suit like that no. with a, like, finger wave and, like, doing nightclub singing and, like, I <laughs> just... <laughs> no. She came across as a lot more sophisticated, and it was hard for me to tell like if she was just in the earlier parts of the movie if she was just trying to like you know get something out of Harry Mm -hmm. or if she actually liked him and then when she didn't like I was like take the plane ticket you're crazy like why are you under like like this is not a safe place for you to be (laughs) you need to leave and then she was like no I thought I'd stay and see what happens with you and a lot of the movie he treats her pretty poorly so it's I just didn't, it, it, this was like one of those classic setups where 
the woman's like, but I'm interested in him, so I'll just put up with stuff. And the whole time he's really mean to her, and then in the end it's like, oh, he actually does like her. Yeah. I was like, what? Although, like, there are a couple moments when he's, like, when she's kind of, like, letting him know that she sees that he's, like, kind of interested in the uh, the other woman. And, you know, and she's basically, like... Like, I don't think that you can, like, you know, make eyes at me and then make eyes at this other woman and uh, and I'm not going to notice and I'm not going to care. Like, I see what you're doing and I'm, I'm letting you know I see what you do, you're doing. Which I kind of appreciated yeah. that she, like, kind of stood up and, for herself in that, like, kind of snarky way. Well, it that also frustrated me. I mean, the, we could talk about this in the Bechtel, but... <laughs> You know, there's two developed women in this movie, and of course they have to be at odds. Like, right. of course there has to be jealousy between them. Right. And I almost wish she would have just been like, okay, like, that's how you are. Like, you're just going to be that interested in this married woman of a resistance leader. Yeah. <laughs> like, fine, then I don't care. Like, peace out. And then just like, that. I mean, maybe I have too much pride, but I would have. Instead of making those comments, I would have just been like, look, this is how you are. I don't care about you, dude. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is a shame that, like, these two, like you said, the two fully developed women characters are at odds. They're not, like, on the same team. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it felt like she she would have had an interesting story, too, like, the, the wife. I thought it was very odd that she was like, oh, I came with him because I love him. And then she turns around and is hitting on Harry. Yeah. Like, okay. (laughs) It was very Hemingway. I mean, like, even though they changed the story so much, it just, like, so much of it was like, oh, he's the real man here because he can, like, shoot people and, like, turn things around and he's not afraid and he doesn't take any guff from anyone. And even though she's in love with her husband, she's going to be attracted to him because he's a man. And, like, (laughs) it just had all of those sort of toxic masculinity vibes. Yeah, all the hallmarks (laughs) of, of a classic Hemingway story. So, and even the type of... Like, woman that a Hemingway man yes. goes for has to be, like, a tough broad, but who will, like, put up with them, like, treating them badly. Yeah, put, and... up, put up with the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So that's... <laughs> Which I made the mistake at one point about, like, reading about Hemingway's wives, uh-huh. and then I was just like, oh, gosh, this is so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about, like, some of the, like sultriness and flirtation between Uh them yeah Uh, well there's the famous scene of like you know how to whistle steve don't you yeah (laughs) which Which i was like how did that get through anybody how was anyone not like oh this is just like this is very thinly veiled innuendo right yeah i i don't know a lot of this move like a lot of the scenes and the dialogue i thought like the thing about the hard-boiled Eggs. Oh my god, yes, I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> also, she just keeps coming into his bedroom. Like, she comes in and just, like, sits on his lap. lap. In her um, bathrobe, which had shoulder her, pads. Yes. Yes, the bathrobe with shoulder pads. Where do I get one of those? Oh my god. <laughs> yes, there was that. And then when she kisses him, and then she says, like, they, he should shave and they could do it again. Yeah. Like, it was just like, whoa. <laughs> 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 the, 
this it was so sexy like that it just goes to show you like how some of these older movies just by like sort of implying things it's got so much more tension yeah than being more explicit totally um i also i mean this is not the movie but i read up about uh, bogey and bacall's marriage too and apparently after they got married like he told her to like put her career on hold Great. and that like wonderful her primary role should be like taking care of him and their kids. Great. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I feel like this is that I think this is one of the reasons why like I don't like Humphrey Bogart as much because like <laughs> your ca- the characters you play are also just kind of like you. Just like you. <laughs> and is he's he's just not my vibe. Again. Um, what did you think of her singing? I, so I like Googled like while I was watching it and was like, is this her really singing or is it not her singing? Because I feel like all the other movies we've seen with people singing, it's not actually her singing unless it's Doris Day singing. And it is her singing. And I was impressed. Yeah, I thought she was really good. Uh, I did the same thing. I was like, is that really her voice? That must have been so cool to be her and to be, like, 18. And they're like, oh, you're going to just, like, perform with this great pianist yeah. in a movie. In a movie. She was, I just thought she was really good. And I liked kind of that she was like, well, I, I'll just find a job for myself then. <laughs> but it seems like in all these movies we're watching where they're in some sort of, like, tropical locale, the woman always ends up just becoming, like, a nightclub singer. Yeah. Have you noticed that? That doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. So, yeah, I mean, do you think that that we're ready to talk about social justice? I think so, yeah. Do you think that... This movie has... I know, we like, not to, like, continue to compare it to Casablanca, but, you know, I was thinking about the way that it portrays like the resistance work compared to Casablanca and in some ways I think it was a little bit more um like it glorified it a little bit less and was just like you know we don't have a we don't have a plan we just know that we have to do something and to me that made it seem more of a like social justice like plot line than it was in Casablanca which was just like oh this glorify this glory glorious leader we have to protect and save to protect the movement or whatever yeah it was interesting like I think I have a little bit of trouble separating sort of the perspective of like the film versus Harry's perspective Mm -hmm. because it made the resistance seem a lot scrappier Mm -hmm. like well it was pretty scrappy yeah well that and it and I think it's like portrayed often now as if Mm -hmm. It was much more organized and, like, everyone was a hero and all of that. Um, Yeah. So, in some ways, this felt, like, more authentic to me. Mm -hmm. But Harry's perspective seemed to be, like, you guys are foolish Mm -hmm. and (laughs) you're not really, like, sending in your best people. Yeah. You need better people than this and you need a plan. And I don't even know if by the end of the movie he changed his opinion about that. I th- I just know that he was pissed off at the police. <laughs> yeah, he was mad at the police and was like, I'm gonna... Yeah, like you said earlier, he, his like, reaction was on like a personal level rather than as a, like, 
you know, I'm going to join this fight. Yeah, and I think a big difference with this movie, too, is, like, Casablanca, there are, like, Nazis around. Mm -hmm. And this movie, the enemy was, like, Vichy France. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Um, there is Vichy France in... In Casablanca, but it's, there's more of a, like, because there are both Germans and, you know, French officers, there's more of, there's, like, more of a gray area in that movie, whereas, which, and it was a few years earlier, too, whereas this movie was a few years later, and um, the understanding of what Vichy was doing, I think, maybe was a little bit different. Yeah, and it... It felt like, I don't know, just the way that they talked, there wasn't a lot of explicit talk of like the access and the allies and what was going on Mm -hmm. you know it didn't it it wasn't as explicit it just felt like they distilled everything down to just what was going on in these individual people's lives and how it was like affecting their daily lives instead of this larger global struggle that was happening yes that's a really that is a really good point Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so I mean I it definitely I think there was like social justice messaging but it felt less like pro social justice than I would have expected for a movie like this mm-hmm. yeah I think that seems right it was less it portrayed like you said it portrayed it less like a movement and more like a yeah just like very scrappy uh <laughs> scrappy people trying to do what they could, which I guess, like, I mean, like I said, I think that is, that was pretty accurate for a lot of parts of France, um, and I don't really know what it was, like, like in the territories, but. Yeah, and I mean, he wasn't wrong, like, if those, like, uh, resistance fighters, or however you'd want to call them, had come, if he, he wasn't even in support of them, if he, he had to help them at every step of the way just for them to not end up dead yeah. immediately, yeah. so, like, it was a very slim chance that someone like him even would help them. He had no allegiance. Yeah. Like it, and basically the only reason they did, according to this movie, so he could get money to get her like a plane ticket out, which she didn't even use. Which so she didn't it all even felt use. very like yeah. empty to me. Yeah. Although, do you feel like his? Do you feel like his sentiments changed at all, or not really, over the course of the the film? Um. I mean, I think he picked a side, but I think he, the impression I got was that he basically just picked the side, um, like, against the people who were, like, making his life harder. That's I didn't true. think he was doing it because yeah. of any kind of principles or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, he even says a couple things, like, when he all of a sudden, like, pulls out a gun and, like, somehow nobody else in the room can do anything even though there's like four or five other people there yeah um he even says something like you've pushed me around long enough mm-hmm. like it's not anything it's about him yeah. it's his ego totally <laughs> like it's yeah that's a really good point i've been living my own life making my own decisions for a long while now it's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again so anyway well should we talk about Bechtel? uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> Hemingway, Faulkner, and women. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't good odds that this would be a feminist movie. No. You put it like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it passes the Bechdel test in a way. Does it? Like, I mean, it, I mean does it, it? Maybe technically. I mean, they do exchange. They're being a snarky about 
about uh, Morgan, though. Don't you think? That's true. I mean, there are no, like, positive exchanges of... I even thought it was strange. Like, so if you were slim and you're, like, coming in to assist with this, like, quote-unquote surgery of removing... Like, you wouldn't even say anything, like, if you were talking, like... Where are you guys from? What you doing? Like, what's going on? She's just like, oh, okay. You want me to chloroform someone? Yeah. All right, like, no there's problem. So no information is really exchanged between the women. Yeah. Yeah. I want, so I guess I you're see, right. I want to see, a, like, the backstory of, of Slynn and, like, see what it was that, like, caused her to be the way that she is. Ooh, alternate ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> alternate ending is Harry and the other guy end up dead. But Slim and the wife join together as resistance fighters. Love it. And go to Devil's Island with Eddie as the captain of the boat. Love it. Perfect. Okay. Done. And done. And it's not called to, ha- to have and have not. It's called something else. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, one thing I wanted to mention, like, while we're talking about the women is I did think that slim had like a fair amount of agency mm-hmm. in the movie yes. uh-huh. you know she came there on her own she pretty much like i mean she was stealing but she was like making her own way mm-hmm. kind of in the world getting money how she could yeah um like taking care of herself she makes the decision to not fly out even though other people try to tell her what to do mm-hmm. and um she also makes the decision to get involved with you know, what's going on. Yes. Um, with the resistance. And, like, even though Harry keeps trying to put her off, she's just like, no, you can't put me off. So, like, in a lot of ways, and she really came on to him. That's true. She, yeah, she has a lot of agency in a lot of ways. That's true. I forgot that she really comes on to him. Um, so, I don't, I don't know if it passes Bechtel, but it's not, like, a total waste. <laughs> not a total <laughs> Hemingway. <laughs> Not a total having way. I mean, but it, it it also made me mad how um, Harry got so annoyed that, like, the wife was upset that he was going to operate but, like, wasn't a doctor. I was like, I would also be upset about that. <laughs> and also when she passes out, when he's just doing, like, open surgery in front of her and then he's pissed off and then Slim is portrayed as, like, the better woman uh-huh. because she's not squeaky. Like, it was just very... <laughs> misogynistic vibes yeah have Um, a heart harry yeah i mean gosh i just i don't know i have a low tolerance for all of that you gotta be tough or you're a waste of life like (laughs) so anyway yeah what what rating would you give it i feel like i would i'm giving it a four oh that's a good rating Mm -hmm. i mean you know soft on my ratings. <laughs> I mean, I, I I would definitely watch it again, even if I was like, oh, I have some questions about like motivation. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I mean, well, do you remember what rating you gave Casablanca? Was that a five? I'm sure I gave it something high. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, like I mean, plus I'm... one for uh, Ingrid Bergman. Uh, every Ingrid yeah, Bergman movie gets, a, gets one point higher just for having her in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's also true. That's like a different dynamic because Ingrid Bergman is many things, but she's not really a femme fatale Mm-mm. type. Mm-mm. So I would give this movie, I think, a three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, checks which... out. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and that I liked it. I thought it was well done. A lot of the actors were really good in it. Just like all the mains were really great. And I would watch it again. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but I think it's a it's a good movie. And I liked just to like seeing their chemistry. I think was worth it. And knowing like in real life that this is when they met and kind of got together. Yeah. Um, and she was really good for this being mm-hmm. her first movie. Yes, totally. It's impressive. She's impressive. She is impressive. I'd, we should definitely watch more want, movies with her. <laughs> yeah, we should. We And I would like to watch more of her later stuff, mm-hmm. too. And Fancy um, Feast? Do you want to watch some Fancy Feast commercials? Uh, I would love to watch some Fancy <laughs> Feast commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read one of her memoirs, yeah. too. I think that would be Sirens Book Club. Yeah, Sirens Book Club. We actually have a whole lineup. We've got the new Cary Grant biography. We've got Fast Talking Dames. We could totally make this happen. Yes. <laughs> Done. Um, so what's our next movie? Oh, crap. Sylvia Scarlet. We're trying to complete our Catherine Hepburn arc. Yes. The arc is never complete, but we have to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter, at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.